0: Take your right hand, reach across your body, and now, with me? See what happens? Yep.
1: Should I put yep. my should I put my phone down before I before I reach <laughs> with my right hand?
0: Well, you can drop it in the street. I don't care what happens to your <laughs> phone. I just want to make sure you reach with your right hand. Just like the Dutch do. Oh, don't worry. We'll explain all of that. And we'll talk to a guy known as pump track Jesus.
2: If you want to support your local community you come out and you you donate to your local pump track and 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 you can even if you don't ride you can come out here and watch the kids with smiles on their faces and it's all worth it.
0: The Pace Line, the podcast, on two wheels, the podcast, perfectly comfortable in its own skin, skin suit, that is. That's why we (laughs) take on the tough issues. Thanks for finding our show, no matter how you did that, Red Kite Prayer, iTunes, Stitcher, Google Music, you know all the places. For those new to us, the show is hosted by Fatty of FatCyclist.com, Patrick Brady, publisher of RedKitePrayer.com, and... I am Michael Houghton, uh, an RKP contributor, freelancer for life, at least until <laughs> I get a, a real job. Fatty, Patrick, how you boys doing? I, I do i do this. I'm kind of setting the show up this way because I figured, you know, based on last week's show, which was a new one for us, it was a new topic, uh, we may have a few new people listening. So I hope so. I was thinking maybe... Yeah, uh, yeah I, I hope. Th- I think, yeah, I, I, based on the comments we received about last week's show, I, I feel like we probably have... You know, a new group of listeners here. So really proud of the show. In fact, we did last week. Uh, even though we, we answered nothing into the end, <laughs> we didn't solve the dilemma we were chasing. We did start, I believe, a conversation. And in case you didn't hear the show, show 36, we simply uh, asked the question, why in this day and age, and maybe we can blame it on Donald Trump. I'd like to, I guess. Why not? Why is there no? Yeah, why not? Why is there no? It's huge, huge, huge. Why is there no openly gay man in the pro peloton? This is a huge problem. Fatty, you deserve uh, much of the credit for starting the pace line on this. And since our conversation last time, we've had a lot of reaction. What did you hear back? And did you have any additional thoughts uh, a week later?
1: Well, I I will tell you that one of our new listeners is my sister, uh, who does not ride a bike at all, but lives in Brooklyn and happens to have Brian Anderson, who ha- has, in addition to being famous for being an incredible skateboarder, is also, I believe, the first pro skateboarder to come out as gay as the babysitter for her kids. So I'm hoping through you know seven degrees of podcasting or whatever you want to call it, that perhaps Brian Anderson might have even heard our podcast. So that would be kind of cool.
0: Mm. And, uh, in case you didn't, yeah. In case you didn't see or hear the Brian Anderson piece, it's on, uh, Show Thirty Six. Yeah. It's on the post there. The video. Go and watch that. His story about kind of his world and coming out in in that in the world of skateboarding and what that meant to him.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Just imagine if you were a kid and you had a pro skateboarder as a babysitter. Never get to bed on time.
3: i I just building
0: ramps and stuff
3: yeah that's just so full of amazing you know the the chance to have someone who's really really insanely cool you know cool enough to be a role model and then also you know has uh you know this other orientation uh that helps expose the kids uh when they're super impressionable um you know to another life, you know, and I'm, I'm careful not to use lifestyle. Um, you know, this isn't just something somebody chose. Um, you know, this is just an orientation that's innate. And, uh, I think part of our effort to show our acceptance of this is to be accepting, um, of the science behind that. And so, I mean, if my kids could have that kind of exposure, that would just be so dynamite, you know. I want them <laughs> to grow up accepting other people, no matter how different they are.
0: What we were saying, I think, last show and, and now is, wouldn't it be insanely cool if a rider in the pro peloton came out and just said what everyone knows is that one of you, at least one of you, has got to be a gay man? Sure, I mean, there's just the math just adds up. It would be astronomical. It would be crazy if there if there wasn't. Yeah, there has to be one. Yeah, statistically, it's
3: impossible. You know, so I mean, I don't think that we're in a position where we need to make a formal invitation to someone to say, you know, go ahead, come out. Um, I think that's insensitive to the, their own views and and needs and and you know whatever degree of caution they felt was necessary. Uh, but I I hope that you know we can Help create an atmosphere where people think, okay, well, in this community, it is okay if I come out. Yeah, Um, I'd like this to be a step along that route.
1: Exactly, what we can do is provide an atmosphere, a an environment where any cyclist feels welcome, regardless of who they are.
0: Yeah, we did get a number of comments uh, regarding our show last, uh, show 36's, and the original discussion we had. We wanted to go over a few of those comments, too. Some of those landed on the pages of RKP. Quentin, who I believe is a regular there, Patrick, uh, on RKP, he said, uh, When the top five to 10 teams are mostly financed by billionaire sugar daddies, that's a lot of potential writer contracts controlled by a handful of old white guys with potentially less progressive attitudes. So I think the point being there is that the power structure is just not going to allow for this to happen. We need we need somebody you know you could kind of need I, don't, I want to use Jackie Robinson as a comparison here but somebody of, to to break that barrier and somebody in a, in a leadership role to do so. Yeah, Quentin's like pointing out,
3: and I think it's a terrific and and you know not just a terrific point, but I I think that that he may have hit upon what is the single biggest problem. We need a bunch of guys like Bob Stapleton, you know, the former uh, owner slash director of of uh, the High Road team. Uh, he strikes me as a guy who's got enough uh, business experience in the world that you know he'd. He'd understand, you know, what it means to be accepting of a diverse workforce and what that brings to an organization. You know, uh, some of the current owners, I'm not going to name any names, but some of those guys, uh, they're not a whole lot better than Donald Trump. So (laughs) Uh,
0: Mickey said it would be nice (laughs) to see pro cycling get past the notion that there is a stigma about being gay. He said in jest, if I were a pro, I'd probably just pretend to be gay so i get my own room on the road. But seriously, it's 2016. <laughs> yeah. I know we love our cycling history, but there has to be at least one or two full teams worth of gay riders in the Peloton. Yeah, Might be a big number there, but uh, we tend to agree, I think, Mickey, is that there has to be a few, at least a handful, at least a team time trial's worth of of men there that, that probably are hiding something. And um, this show, thanks for the better of the pro-Peloton, some openness is deserved here. I thought this was an interesting um, point made by a person who identified themselves as KHG on RKP. KHG, RKP. Uh, <laughs> he said he works in the world of ballet where the situation is actually reversed. Lots of out gay men, but hardly any out gay women. And you think that has to do with with gender expectations. He says because ballet is currently considered a very feminine thing to do, the sort of boys and men who are strong enough to get into it and stick with it have to be comfortable with going against gender norms. Yeah. So, well, I mean, look, uh, not that we are at all normal, huh, Patrick and Fatty? We wear the lycra, and we shave our legs, and it's awfully fancy what we do. But, Dude, my whole oh. life
3: is out is out at the shallow end of some bell curve. <laughs>
0: That's right. Welcome to cycling, everybody. You're not normal, okay? <laughs> uh, I got a little feedback, feedback. I got a little flack, actually, for my comments about uh, what I thought was the influence, maybe, of the Catholic Church and of old school thinking and of old world Europe in all of this. Uh, Glenn Gary tweeted, actually, he was completely uncomfortable with the speculative assertion that Catholicism has anything to do with the subject. He feels a, that sort of broad brush is what uh, gay allies resent and should actively avoid. Safer just to describe anything of the sort to ignorance and leave Catholics out of it. Uh, I'll admit one thing to Glenn Gary. I did pretty much a mediocre job at best explaining my point. And what I was trying to say was that the sport of cycling has its roots in Europe. That's the old country. And, yes, part of the old country includes the influence of old values and religion as well. Um Does the Catholic Church deserve all the blame for a lack of an openly gay man in the pro peloton? No, it doesn't. Uh, But does the church have influence over lives of some of the men in pro cycling? I would say it probably does. And the fact that the Catholic Church has not always been an open place and a place for gay men to go, um, at least openly, you know, that can also present a problem. But again, it's not the issue or the reason that we're, we're, you know, in the middle of this dilemma here. It's just another thing, I think, that kind of hangs over the lives of people who are in the pro-Peloton.
1: I think there um, might be something... Oh, I'm sorry, Michael, I, I was going to say, I think there might be something worth pointing out here, and that is, I mean, you felt a little bit awkward and w- had some trouble choosing the right words to go along with your very, I think, progressive, you know, progressive thoughts. I had difficulty as well, and I think that just comes with this being something that is new for a lot of us to try to talk about, and we choose the wrong words, and perhaps express our thoughts poorly, and we get better at it just by practicing, which is kind of what we're doing right now, right? It's this is—I mean, this is the first time that we have really broached a topic like this in this podcast, and we're going to make mistakes, and I think uh, you know we need to just say, okay, we're going to make mistakes and be really grateful to people who point out when we say something that might be unfortunate, but on their side, they need to realize that we are going to, you know, these mistakes are going to happen. Let us know. And we're going to keep trying to do better, but, uh, Work with us,
3: educate us. I mean, we are three straight white guys, you know? (laughs) I mean, we, we are, if, you know, as a, as a, as a Venn diagram, you know, we are the source of, you know, not just mansplaining, but gentrification and, uh, the, the death of, of millions of people. Uh, we're responsible for most of the world's ills. Sorry. Um, at least, yeah, yeah. Sorry. Uh, my bad. Um, at least we can say that the three of us, you know, are attempting, uh, as you you know, the term you used, uh, to be progressive in this, you know, we, we want to do our part to help, uh, turn that tide of awful behavior by our sort. So, yep. uh, we're trying, we're, we're making goofballs. An
1: We're goofballs. We're making mistakes. Let but us clear know on what that we part. do and understand that, hey, we're, uh, we're learning and appreciate yep. your feedback.
0: Or in other words, bless me, Father, for I have sinned, <laughs> and I will now do four rosaries for you, if it if it helps at all. Um, I did look up, um, you know, speaking of this topic, same-sex unions in Europe, since you know Europe again is the the center of the sport and where the pro peloton does most of its racing. Mm-hmm. I thought it'd be interesting to look at, you know, what kind of Europe's uh, attitude towards same-sex unions, especially governments. Currently, twenty-eight of the fifty countries in Europe recognize some type of same-sex unions, Italy, France, and Spain among them, so the primary kind of cycling countries, do recognize same-sex unions. Same-sex marriage is not recognized in several European countries, and in addition, marriage is defined as a union solely between a man and a woman in some constitutions of Armenia, Belarus, Bulgaria, Croatia, Hungary, Latvia, Lithuania, Moldova, Montenegro, Poland, Serbia, Slovakia, and the Ukraine. So, uh, yeah, openness has still got a ways to go uh, with both church and state um, and in Europe. And again, just another thing that another pressure, I suppose, on somebody who might be thinking about talking about this in a very open way. And we're going to keep talking about it, that's for sure. Um uh, so thanks fatty again, for bringing this up um, thanks to the you know listeners of the paceline for uh sticking with us on this and adding to the conversation. We certainly appreciate it. we hope you oh, all, yeah hope you' keep doing so and appreciate your patience yeah <laughs> appreciate your patience. that's right um let's stay on the pro ride theme uh something else we touched on last week was the heat at u c i worlds guys. The weather forecasters were indeed right. It gets hot in. Cutter in the summer. Uh, heat made a mess out of the women's time trial, the team time trial, that is. During the race, temps hovered uh, above 100, 100 degrees. Some riders were so delusional during the race that they were unable to hold the wheel, and a couple actually crashed, dizzy, and fell over. Gosh. Wow. At the finish line, all kinds of riders were suffering from heat exhaustion, with several riders requiring medical assistance, in some cases, it took actually medics 15 to 20 minutes to get the riders because they were kind of so stressed out and spread out with all the issues. In the end, uh, Bowles-Dolmans won the title somehow, probably with a lot of uh, <laughs> water being poured over the head. They beat the defending champs, Canyon-Shram, by 48 seconds. Cervella-Bigla took the the podium. More. So Bulls dolmans actually a great season this year. Good good women's team to follow. the The individual TTs were also done in the scorching heat. Amber Niven of the US took her second rainbow jersey. And look who. Tony Martin on Clinchers no less, Patrick Clinchers, won the men's TT to get ready for the heat. Martin says he tra- he's trained in the bathroom with the heater on. Oh my god. Now there's a new trainer road program, Fatty?
1: Oh, yeah, I'll pass. Thanks. The sauna intervals.
3: Oh. I oh.
0: just there's nothing I
3: want that badly. Nothing.
1: Cyclings answer to are, hot are yoga. You
0: guys, are you guys uh, – b- now, Fatty, you do the relay, right? the Rockwell relay, mm-hmm. and that is in scorching heat. Yeah. Are you a better guy in the heat or or in cool weather? Cool weather?
1: I am the best when it's about 74 degrees. <laughs> <So. Yeah. laughs> Welcome to the club. I, I like – overcast, I right? like just right. Can you believe it?
0: <laughs> <laughs> okay, if you have to choose, though, it's either going to be a day – with booties and gloves and, and a skull cap on or 100 degrees and humid, where are you going?
1: Oh, can I, can I take the dry heat? <laughs> that, that's the option that I'd like to take. I, I do I okay in heat, but heat plus humidity, and I melt into a
0: puddle of fatty. <laughs> <laughs> and Patrick, heat or cold? Well,
3: um, I I can't really deny my Irish roots. Uh, Most of my wins in bike races came when the temperature was south of 60 degrees and Mm -hmm. very often raining. Um, Mm, Rain? Yeah, yeah. First crit I ever won, solo breakaway, 14 of 18 laps, uh, 39 degrees, and raining. Wow. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, All right, so –
0: yeah, I can't even explain I have to it. agree. I, I have Northern California roots, a lot of fog in my blood, a lot of overcast skies. I tend to favor that side of things too. Uh, like you, Patrick, I won a circuit race. It was overcast in San Pedro. Conditions were just about ideal. Got in a break and then dropped my breakaway partner. Um, and the TTs I've won have all been in pretty mild, mild conditions. That said, I mean, sometimes you got to jump in the heat, you know. I, well, the um, funny the of- thing
3: is I, before, when I was saying, you know, I'm, I'm a guy who lives in the belt, the shallow end of the bell curve, um, the other conditions that I've done well in ultra hot, you know, if it's, if it's like, yeah, 75 degrees, sunny and 40% humidity, people are going to kill me. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know what it is. I, I, and I'm yeah. not saying that I like those conditions. I just race well in them when, you know,
0: back when I was a racer. Mm hmm. Uh, more from the from the world's uh, riders used ice vests before and after the race to cool down. Uh, Norway's Edvald Bosenhagen started with his jersey stuffed with ice. This is for the individual TT. Uh, Soignet stuffed ice in jerseys and gloves and even socks. Of course, within 10 minutes, it all had just melted or, or slipped away. Mm. Here's what Taylor Finney said. He said, I think I lost more brain cells than I lost weight. It was really a weird race mentally because it was so hot. Ouch. All kinds of weird stuff going on there. People trying to get ready for worlds this year in that heat. So, And then again, you know, the road race could get shortened if, if things get out of control with the, with the temperature. So UCI... Uh, <laughs> if. With a lot on its hand. <laughs> if. <laughs> if, right, exactly. All right, guys. Uh, coming up, a helmet study that actually makes a case for head for mandatory head protection and Patrick pulls out his shovel for some pump track fun that's next on the pace line
4: this year's edition of the UCI World Championships will have a very different feel for the first time cycling's annual celebration is heading to Qatar reflecting the changing face of the sport with a departure from more traditional settings the racing could have a different feel too
0: Face line, the podcast on two wheels, fatty of fatcyclist.com, Patrick Brady, redkiteprayer.com, both here. And I'm your host, Michael Houghton, here with a little uh helmet talk. And sometimes helmet laws and our opinions can get us in a little trouble. <clears throat> Specifically me, but that's okay. Wanted to at <laughs> least uh, get to a helmet study that I thought was interesting, and I'm not trying to make a point for for helmet laws here. Uh, just this is kind of an alternate look at at whether or not helmet helmet loss can work. And this study was conducted by the University of New South Wales, and it concluded that bicycle helmets do reduce reduce that is the risk of head injury by about seventy percent. Two researchers from Australia looked at data from forty one studies and came up with this little nugget: helmet use is associated with odds reductions of fifty one percent for head injury. for serious head injury, 33% for face injury, and 65% for fatal head injury. Injuries to the neck were rare and not associated with helmet use, the study found. The researchers went on to say these results suggest that strategies to increase the uptake of bicycle helmets should be considered. Now, no surprise, this came out of Australia, the only country with a mandatory bicycle helmet law. (laughs) Uh, New South Wales government raised the fine for not wearing a helmet from 71 Australian dollars to 319 uh, And their study, <laughs> of course, contradicts the argument that helmets do not increase safety. And the response from most bike advocates is that helmet laws discourage cycling because such laws are indirect acknowledgments that cycling is dangerous. And what's preferred by most advocates is an increase in the number of bike lanes to prevent crashes and the resulting... Head injuries. The study says that, irrespective of past research, the result of this review do not support arguments against helmet legislation from an injury prevention perspective. Um, Patrick, you and I have gotten in a little bit of, found ourselves in a little bit of heat over over a helmet piece on RKP that took a look at a proposed California helmet law and wondered, at least I wondered, whether or not just passing on the law, allowing it to become law might be the better strategy um but that that aside what are some of your thoughts about helmet laws do you think they they work um do you think you do you see enough people wearing helmets on the road
3: yeah i mean generally speaking anytime i see somebody who i would kind of term a dedicated cyclist you know they're almost always wearing helmets um the the exception is when i see you know, someone who's a more casual cyclist or, you know, a commuter. That's when I see helmet use tend to drop off. And the one I really love is like, you know, the parent out with the child. The child has a helmet on because there's a California law. The parent doesn't have a helmet on. And so, you know, if the, hel- if the parent crashes, like, okay, so who's going to take care of the kid? And I just mean like getting the child home. Um you know, there's a, a certain libertarian streak to me that says, you know, we're all adults, you know, choose if you're gonna wear a helmet or not. But the reality is that, you know, we should view this more like we view uh seatbelt laws. You know, seatbelt laws have gone a long way to reducing uh the severity of car accidents as well as the reducing fatalities. And one of the things that happens in, you know, horrific crashes, uh, is that, you know, people are often, um, uh, you know, invalids, essentially, afterwards, you know, long-term medical care. And that can run hundreds of millions of dollars, uh, you know, when you look at it uh, across, um, you know, across an entire country, if you, if you add up all those different uh, accidents. Mm-hmm. And so from a standpoint of, you know, cost to taxpayers because people run through the entirety of their health insurance and then they end up being on the state uh, or the state, you know, and taxpayers end up being on the hook for this. I think we ought to look at helmet laws just from a standpoint of, you know, what's fiscally responsible, uh, you know, for the state. Um, And so, you know, I'm more in favor of, helmet laws than I ever was in the past. and But it's just because of those, you know, the awful kind of worst case scenario outcome. You know, I'd mm-hmm. like to see deaths reduced and I'd like to see the severity of injuries reduced. And if we have to mandate that the way that we mandate
0: um, uh, safety belts, um, you know, so be it. And, and I think that's where the, the California bill was, was left. It was rescinded or was it was taken off the table as a mandatory helmet law and instead changed to a study of whether, uh, of helmet laws. In other words, how one could work, whether or not they can work, can they reduce the cost to the state by preventing injury. And that's where they left that, that piece of legislation. And just like with gun violence, where we'd like to see less less of it, Less fewer people killing each other with guns. Um, yes, might that mean a change in gun laws? It could. Does not mean we want to end the Second Amendment? No, not necessarily. Guns are going to be part of American life. Um, kind of the same thing with helmets. You know, Helmets are we'd love just to see more people use them, uh, use them properly and, and not have to legislate them. Fatty, how about you? Are you? What's your viewpoint on a mandatory helmet law? And, and are you satisfied with the number of helmets you see on heads when you see cyclists?
1: You know, it's really rare that I see a cyclist without a helmet. Um, maybe that's just because the places where I ride, uh, cyclists have pretty much opted in. Uh, certainly mountain biking. Uh, I, I notice someone who doesn't wear a helmet just because it's so rare. Um, I make my own kids wear helmets. So, I mean, they're, at least in the fatty household, uh, you know, helmets are a full-time, every ride kind of thing. It, in terms of laws, you know, I, I will leave that to others. I, I really, I, really uh, I guess my personal sense is perhaps kids, you know, people under the age of 18 should be required by law. And once you're old enough to vote, you're also old enough to decide whether you're going to wear a helmet.
4: Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah, I hate, again, to reiterate, I'd hate to take it out of everyone's hands. I don't think that's the right approach. Mm -hmm. I think, you know, voluntary participation is, is the way to reach everyone. It'd be nice to see a more concerted effort on behalf of safety councils and even bike advocates to promote the use of helmets. I've been told that they're, especially in bike advocacy, they're a little gun-shy about doing that because, again, they don't like the perception. And the perception is by promoting helmet use, you're saying about the activity that it's inherently dangerous, which, yeah, it can be. You can fall over and ring your bell, and that's bad. And that's why helmet companies, Patrick, look at the strides that helmet companies have made. Look at the focus they've put not on venting anymore, how light the damn thing is, or what color schemes it can come on. What have been the big advances with helmets these days?
3: Oh my gosh. Well, they're much more comfortable to wear than they ever were in the past. They fit better. So having one and, on top of your nugget, um, you know, it's like it's not as objectionable as it once was.
0: You know, then there's and how also how about that little how about that little add on called MIPS? Yeah. I mean, well yeah, they're they're doing that's all sorts. Not, of- that's not a flashy feature. That's not a, that's not something everyone can see. But damn, the helmet companies are stepping up. Some of them investing big dollars yep. in making sure that MIPS gets put into helmets. Why? Well, because it could good. It, yeah, I
3: mean it, it's there's a good chance that it will help reduce the severity of some injuries or or eliminate some injuries in the event of a crash and a helmet strike. You know, and then you've also got uh, the two different foam construction of, uh, the new Bell Zephyr. Uh, this is a, a, t- a, technology that, um, uh, Kali has also been using in their helmets by using a high, de- a higher density foam and a lower density foam, uh, to help, you know, reduce, uh, cranial velocity, I believe was the term, you know, it, mm. it uh, so it can, uh, using that second softer density of foam, uh, can help, uh, reduce the severity, uh, of a crash as well. And so, you know, helmets have never been better made. I mean, that's, I guess, no great shock. It's not like the technology is ever going to go backward. (laughs) But, um, you know, I I think, you know, arguing against the, the why of wearing a helmet just gets sillier and sillier. And anybody who wants to try, still try to argue that they don't. Uh, reduce injuries, that they don't present deaths. I can just laugh them out of the room at this point. You know, my own anecdotal experience is such that, no, I'm not going to go more than four or five miles an hour on a bike without a helmet on,
0: you know? I'm just not. Yeah. Well, continuing our little safety theme here, another tremendous hazard to a cyclist is the old dooring, which have either you been doored before? I've narrowly escaped one.
1: I am lucky. Fatty it's any- never even been a close thing for me.
0: Uh, I did enough bike commuting to have a number of close calls, but it developed a system, at least on the bike, to kind of get an idea who was in a car, and and you use rearview mirrors, and there's ways to kind of detect and hopefully anticipate what somebody in a parked car might try and do. But nonetheless, there's something new, uh, at least new to the U.S., called the Dutch Reach It's very interesting and gaining a a little bit of steam. Uh, Last year, uh, first a stat, 45,000 bicyclists were injured on the road, according to the U.S. Department of Transportation, and 10% of those injuries were the direct result of a rider getting doored. So a doctor from Cambridge, Mass., He says he'd like to end dooring by teaching drivers a technique called the Dutch Reach. Michael Charney's his name. He's 70 years old. He's a retired doctor, actually, and he's the man in front of this campaign. The Dutch Reach is a technique where a driver reaches over with his right hand to open the car door, forcing him to turn his body, look over his shoulder, and hopefully see any oncoming cyclists. Of course, the name inspired by the Netherlands. Drivers there are required in their driving exams to open car doors with their right hands. Hmm. So, guys, do it with me here. Here we go. We're driving. I'm not riding. Pretend you're driving. You got both hands on the wheel, right? Yep. What are you driving, Patrick?
3: My Subaru. Oh, wait. Wait. This is imaginary. I'm in a Bugatti. I'm in a Bugatti, bitches.
0: Okay. (laughs) Fatty is probably uh, in in a pickup. (laughs)
1: <laughs> I, I am. I I'm Honda Ridgeline. It's 10 years old.
0: Awesome. Best, I, best truck. I'm in ever. LA. I'm in a Tesla. Okay. I'm in LA. I'm, a, I'm in a Tesla. Now. I'm texting. You come to a stop. bring your car to a stop. Okay. Parallel park.
1: Finish texting.
0: My God, this car is big. Put your car in park. <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead. Check Facebook. Text messages. Email. <laughs> now. Get out of your car. But wait. Take your right hand. Reach across your body. And now, with me, see what happens? Yeah.
1: Should I put yep. my should I put my phone down before I before I
0: reach <laughs> with my right hand? Well, you can drop it in the street. I don't care what happens to your phone. <laughs> I just want to make sure you reach with your right hand just like the Dutch do. And make your it'll make your your face turn to the to the left and and look over oh. your shoulder. It actually works, huh? Yeah. Yeah,
3: yeah it's crazy reach. effective. My yeah. spine
0: pops. Yeah. That, <laughs> it actually does work. one um, was uh, I haven't taken the driver's written test in a couple of years, but I, I guess the one the one hole there or hole seems to be the lack of questions about how to behave around cycling and, and bicyclists. Uh, never mind driver education and passing the thing and, and having to do the Dutch reach, but just in general, guys about yeah. Drivers being questioned about you know what what are the behaviors of cyclists what are they allowed to do what they are not allowed to do it seems like states could go up a lot farther in, in making sure that knowledge is known by drivers yeah whether or not we have a Dutch reach
1: we need it's, a different word for this we just need a different than the name. Dutch reach than the Dutch yeah. reach oh absolutely yeah, I'm snorting every time you
0: say that I'm sorry. the Dutch reach
3: <laughs> I mean it works fine for me but you know I'm I'm Again, I'm I'm on the shallow end of some bell curve that doesn't find uh, that objectionable. Most of America will not do it just because you said Dutch.
0: Ah, uh, yeah. For, well, just keep it away me, from Donald Trump because that guy will reach for anything. You know, so no Dutch reach for Donald.
2: <laughs> I
0: want to make it clear <laughs> that shots.
1: every time you say Donald, I will sniff.
0: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I,
3: I I'm I'm okay with that. Um, Trump. <laughs> uh, Um, Sorry for the the young Frankenstein reference. I couldn't resist. Okay.
0: Yeah. Dutch reach.
3: I think this is pretty terrific. And, you know, if people can just establish the muscle memory of this is how I reach for my car door, it could reduce a whole lot of injuries. I mean, there's a guy that you occasionally ride with, Michael, I'm sure, Uh, a a former racing buddy of mine, uh, this fellow Bobby Sarov. Um, he flatlined because a guy in a van doored him on PCH. He flatlined. Uh, mm. he, they brought him back. I mean, thank, thank goodness. Um, but, I mean, that's, that's how bad this can be. And so, mm. you know, should people uh, actually, you know, start doing that, it could make a real difference in the lives of an awful lot of cyclists.
0: I, I'm, what I'm wondering is, have we come to a point now where, the state legislatures need to start adding things to the driver's education code where where people are taught moves like this to prevent, you know, such uh, such devastating crashes like what happened to our buddy. I mean, I think that would be the next argument or the next discussion that needs to happen.
3: Yeah, I mean, I think if this were added to the driver's ed curriculum and there were a question about this on the written driving test, I think that would be pretty terrific, uh, and it's one of those things. It's like, how could anybody really object to that? Uh, I mean, I know somebody will. Don't get me wrong. I'm not oh, deluded. Yeah. Uh, people will object. But in terms of educating drivers in such a way, you know, I mean, as it is, they could use a multiple choice uh, question on on the tr- on the test about what was the nature of that thump thump you just went over? Squirrel? <laughs> bicycle? You know? Right. Um, yeah, I mean, certainly more needs to be done in terms of educating drivers about the presence of cyclists. Yeah, you're here.
1: Hey Fatty, you've uh, you ever ridden a pump track? I have a couple of times. I'm no good at it, but really? it's fun.
0: It is fun. Yeah. And a good workout. To now, sure. how about this? Have you ever built a pump track?
1: Ah, uh, no. That is part of the big gaping hole in my life uh
0: I thought where so.
1: I, you know, no, I don't do the trail maintenance. The Phrase volunteering and the trail built, you know, pump track building. Never done it.
0: Well, I have some repentant goes, to do. Yeah, you do. In case you're wondering, it goes a little something like this. Uh, Patrick, have you been in the tool shed again? Because I get the feeling uh, you've been digging up something. <laughs>
3: Digging up new skills. Um, What's been up? you have a new <laughs> pump track up your way? Yeah. Santa Rosa has its first pump track. Um, this is a project that's been in the work, uh, works for three years, since even before we moved up here. Um, you know, let me... Let me say briefly that you know i don't get any credit for this okay i have not been a mover or a shaker on this project but when when it did come time uh for people to turn out and help swing a shovel um i i was there and i have helped uh you know but my total contribution i don't know maybe it's one percent of of the construction but you know um there was a $5,000 donor donation from the King Ridge foundation. Uh, that is, you know, uh, the charitable wing of Levi's grand Fondo and, uh, the city, uh, gave the, uh, uh, established the land, um, gave some parkland, uh, to, to build the pump track and, uh, Remba, the Redwood empire mountain bike Alliance, um, Helped uh, help find the uh, the talent necessary to do this, and really shepherded the whole process through the city. But I mean, it's pretty incredible, and it's one of those things that I wanted to talk about this because I think this is a model for other cities that you know people can look to what Santa Rosa has done, as well as like what Mountain Bikers of Santa Cruz uh, has done in terms of establishing pump tracks. This is another way to get people outside and active. And I'm crazy about it because I can go someplace with my seven-year-old and we can ride together and have crazy amounts of fun. And it's really a very safe circumstance. Um, But uh, I took a little time last week as we were finishing up kind of phase one of construction and talked to uh, Doug McKenzie who has really been the, the force behind this. It was his idea. Um, he, uh, he really led the effort and then enlisted the help of Remba. And he's the one who, you know, sat through meetings with city people and got the plans approved and uh, everything. It, it's, uh, it's been a tremendous effort on his part. And then also uh, Andrew Taylor, Uh, a pro rider who spends as much of his career airborne as possible, we'll say. Um, One thing I want to add before we get to the recording, uh, Doug has the nickname of Pump Track Jesus, and I know that for some uh, folks that might offend their religious sensibilities, and I hope that they can appreciate that uh, no disrespect uh was intended uh the kids who came up with that nickname uh simply gave that to him because they uh appreciated that he was bringing something nearly miraculous uh to our community so doug i mean you're called pump track jesus for a reason where would (laughs) the nickname come from you know how long you've been working on this you know where'd this come from man
2: well let me start from the beginning uh a few years ago, about four years ago, I went down to Specialized and did a seminar-type training thing down there, and they had a pump. Part of the deal was you ride every kind of bike they have, mountain bikes, road bikes, uh, BMX bikes, P-bikes, the whole deal. And they had a pump track down there, and I rode that thing, and I, I was like sold like immediately. First lap, I'm like, I don't even know if I can do this, and by the second or third lap, I was flying around the thing. And I said we gotta have one in Sonoma County, so I pitched it uh, to Bike Monkey, uh, Carlos and uh, Bike Monkey, and they were 100% behind me. And uh, then uh, you know went jumped through the hoops of the city council and the uh, you know the planning commission, all that kind of stuff. And I started making some leeway. And then uh, Nick Nesbit and Jake Bayless said, Hey, we got this thing in the works called REMBA, Redwood Empire Mountain Bike Alliance, and we want to back you up. So right there I knew that this thing had legs and it was rolling, and little did I know, even when we got the okay from the city council and put it on the the general plan for Northwest Community Park, which is where we're at right now, uh, I thought, okay, six months we're gonna have this thing rolling. And Lisa Lisa from (laughs) Beer down (laughs) Lisa from the Parks Department uh, Says no It's going to be a year at least So here we are Three years later And we're building it up And lots of thanks to uh, Nick Who knew Will Who knew AT Andrew Taylor AT Showdown gotta, Gotta look into that too and uh, he said, "I'm a native Santa Rosa, and I want to help. I'll volunteer my time. You know, I'll, I got connections. Blah blah blah." I'm like, "All right, man, let's do it." Okay, so now for other communities
3: who want to do this sort of thing, you know, what were the big hurdles to get over? Was it uh, the city
2: parks and rec? Uh definitely jumping through all the hurdles with the permits and the planning and the, getting the getting a, uh, another person I want to throw, throw out to is, is Erica Mckesh. she's our uh, civil engineer that uh, donated all of her time and coming up with a, with a legal uh, plan and layout for the pump track and uh, that's what you need you need, you need uh, official this, official that everything's got to go through the right things and then you got to go on uh, it seems like the support right now. We have about 15 plus people out here, donating their time to help uh, build the track. So the community's behind you. If you want to do it, the community's behind you for sure.
3: Now, how critical was having a 501C3 like REMBA behind you?
2: Well, it, it makes it it makes it a lot easier because then if 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 somebody wants to donate something, they they can make it a write-off, and. Um, you know so there's so many people that 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 would rather see their tax dollars go to something that's going to be positive for the community rather than i don't know making bombs and blowing up people you know <laughs> so that uh, so if you want to support your local community you come out and you, you you donate to your local pump track and 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 you can even if you don't ride you can come out here and watch the kids with smiles on their faces and it's all worth it.
3: Share the stoke. Yeah. Cool, man. Okay, let's get AT in here. Andrew Taylor, so you're the builder behind this, the the, the brains behind uh, what this thing is. Talk to me, uh, how much space was there to work with, and kind of what was your view of how to do this?
4: Yeah, so originally we, uh, we got the layout from Doug. Hey, the pump track's going to be 160 feet long by about 60 feet wide so um having uh ridden bikes whole life growing up and a lot of ridden a lot of pump tracks it was just kind of you know it's a fun part designing starting from scratch it's kind of like art drawing in a bunch of berms and rollers to what you think would fit good in that area so yeah with the help of greg watts my good buddy we came up with a nice drawing that then went forward to another friend andrew Lanou, who did all the the drawing work on in the computer for us so it got that to the phase to pass on to erica and yeah a few months later we're uh we're sitting here looking at the first laps going down on the pump track which is pretty exciting
3: this is so cool now give the folks at home a little idea like you and greg have an an enormous number of hours in here uh you've been out here all week right
4: Yeah, yeah, we started, I'd say, uh, bringing in dirt last Friday, and now it's Thursday. So we've been out here pretty much 8 to 5, and with the help of a lot of the local community and whatnot, we're able to, yeah, get it done in just about a week's time, which is pretty exciting.
3: Really cool. Hey, thanks for the time.
4: Hey, thank you.
0: Hey, thanks for that, Patrick. Very cool pump tracks. Uh, I love these things; they're they're absolutely great on a number of levels. So, first of all, 160 by 60 feet—that doesn't sound like a lot of room to operate. So somehow they've they these guys are able to to picture it in their mind about how they can get the most out of it. It's better than a than a cross course, right? I mean, the way they can it's- squeeze all these interesting attributes into a very small piece of land
3: yeah it's not a very big piece of land and i mean that's part of you know the real attraction of this is that you know you can do something i mean skate parks are generally bigger than what the uh, amount of space we have for this is um so it doesn't take a whole lot of space you know and the real trick is to create something where you know you can do an entire lap without pedaling. The point is to roll in and pump your way through the whole thing. And so if it's too long, you know, the average rider ends up worn out before they can even get back and finish the lap. And uh so you you really actually want something on the short side. The other thing to mention is that, you know, there's there's no dirt that's higher than about four feet off the ground. The the end of the course you know, at, at, at the far end of the course, you know, there's a, a big pile of dirt and kind of a U-turn, and it's been compacted the, to the point that, you know, you can stand up on top of it, you know, much like you would a, a skate park, you know, standing on top of a half pipe. But, you know, it's only a, a you know, three and a half, four foot drop, uh, you know, into the course. And, uh, you know, there's there are a couple of squared off tabletops uh, on one of the possible routes. So there are kind of four possible combinations for going around it. And, you know, at no point are you required to catch air. The real point is to uh, be able to roll through this thing, you know, without having to get completely rad. But for riders who do start getting more rad, you know, there are some opportunities to catch, you know, a little bit of air if you want. And um, so it's something that, you know, can't accommodate kids, you know, all the way up to, uh, you know, adults. And then, you know, the immortals, the, you know, the millennials who, you know, can do (laughs) virtually anything, uh, with, with a bike while airborne. So, I mean, I, you know, just, uh, two days ago we were there and there was a kid on a Strider, you know, a balance bike rolling around the thing, having a great time. And mini shred is just in love with it. Every day when I pick him up from school, he's like, daddy, can we go to the pump track? Yeah. So we found a great new thing for family
0: time. Yeah. Um, so cool. Yeah, it's not, it, it's just not for the, you know, it's not only for the, for the youngsters or the daredevils. Uh, a good buddy of mine, Lee McCormick, who teaches mountain bike skills, he's worked with Brian Lopes and written a bunch of books. He has prescribed pump tracks for all sorts of riders, mountain bikers, BMXers, roadies, cross riders alike, because it is such a fabulous full body workout. Again, like Patrick said, the point is not to pedal, but to use your energy and your momentum and your skill to complete laps. Yeah. Trust me. I, I've, done, I've done a few. Yeah, you do them. You 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 try to pull off a lap or two uh, continuously. You will be spent <laughs> by the end of that. And, and do that for a few hours, and you will have quite a little workout on your hands. So it is good fun and great workout, too, for all, all types of riders. Yeah,
3: yeah. So I hope this is something that's really going to start catching on in communities around the country. It'd be really fun to go on a vacation and say, hey, let's go check out the pump track here. That's what yeah. I used to do years ago with skate, uh, with skate parks.
0: Yeah, and the big deal will be getting government over the hurdle. I mean, you have to lead them along and say, look, this is good. It gets kids off the streets. It's probably safer than a skate park, which is cement and, you know, all kinds of nastiness can happen there. Um, it's bikes. We want to get people on bikes. It gives them a safe place to ride. gives kids a safe place to congregate. And you get the kids involved, too. I mean, look, Patrick, those things need maintenance, right? It's dirt, and it's going to rain, and things are going to happen, and somebody's got to get out there and work on it. And what the hell? The the people that use it can then put their hands into it and make it part of their own. So pump tracks. Hopefully we'll have a PaceLine pump track one day. That'd be cool. All right. Uh, Coming up, uh, this week's PaceLine picks crap you could have found on the internet on your own, but we did it for you. That's next on The Pace Line.
2: Wearing a bicycle helmet can reduce the risk of head injury by an impressive 85%. So go ahead, enjoy the outdoors, but be sure to wear a properly fitted helmet and remember to adjust it before every ride or you won't be fully protected.
0: The podcast on two wheels. We're going to get to Paceline picks in just a second, but uh, some pretty big news coming off the pages of redkiteprayer.com. Patrick, you've got uh, a new little thing going on there that involves your readers.
3: Yeah, well, we've made the decision. Well, I say we, I mean I. I've made the decision that we are going to begin moving toward a reader supported business model. Uh, that means that we are now soliciting reader subscriptions. This is something that people can sign up for through PayPal, and they can select one of four levels uh, three, five, eight, or ten dollars. And that'll be automatically uh, billed to them each month as a means to, uh, well, increase our revenue and stabilize it some. And if it rises high enough, we will be able to move away from advertising entirely. The big reason I wanted to do this was, one, to reassure readers that, you know, when we do a review, it's not influenced uh, by the manufacturer, you know, whether they're uh, a current advertiser or offering advertising or, you know, kind of holding over our head, you know, well, maybe we'll advertise if we get a, a good review, Um that's never really been a motivation for us. We don't sell the editorial. And this is a way to help demonstrate that. But it's also a way for us to uh, be able to have more freelance content and, uh, you know, better compensate uh, our, uh, our contributors. Um, so, you know, you should see a windfall as a result of this.
0: Yeah. Who, you, me, you? all. Very nice. This is kind of like the the public radio model, right? I mean, it's kind of without the annoying call to action stuff.
3: Yeah, we won't be interrupting uh, our content to do this, so in that way, it's uh, much less, much lower impact, you might say. And yeah, Yeah. I did even signal, you know, in the post that yeah, this is national public radio style. Um, You know, being reader supported, it's a, a model that is working with increasing frequency. You know, we're not going to erect any sort of paywall. So there's not going to suddenly be premium content that readers used to see and are no longer seeing. You'll see it all no matter what. You can come by and read everything you want and never pay a dime. But, you know, hopefully people will say, you know, well, this is kind of a a community resource and voluntarily choose to give us a little bit of support. It's pretty low impact. Uh, We'll also, uh, with time offer some uh, year-long memberships, and those will have uh, some pretty nice premiums with them. Uh, No tote bags, I promise, no tote bags. (laughs) Um, You know, some lycra, some t-shirts, some pretty cool stuff. Yeah.
0: Yeah, (laughs) so... (laughs) um, Everything but the guilt.
3: (laughs) Right, right. Yeah, we're not going to guilt anybody. There'll just be a little button at the bottom of posts. And so hopefully, folks will sign on for this.
0: Awesome. Well, good luck with that. We'll uh, keep checking in with you. Thanks. And, I'm excited. Um, yeah. And Fatty and I will be working the phones, you know, answering <laughs> calls, <laughs> pledge drives. We're right here for you all the way. Hey, guys, we've been having fun with this a new segment, and we hope uh, the listeners are too. It's Paceline Picks, uh, complete internet research that's completely useless. At least we think so. So uh, let's find out what we dug up this week, and we're going to start with Fatty.
1: All right. Well... Since I am in New Jersey right now for work, for my day job, I have not been able to ride much, and for some reason, when I can't ride a lot, I find myself thinking more and more about bike hardware, uh, and specifically about what is my dream bike, and I think that the questions I've been asking myself uh, are probably pretty similar to, other quest- or to questions other people might have. So, I put together a little survey, which I've posted on my blog. Um, it's only been up for a couple hours as of recording time, and around 200 people have responded. Go to fatcyclist.com, answer it. It'll take about a minute, and the answers uh, I, uh, and, how people, are, and p- how people are answering, I'll reveal uh, real soon. So, plugging my own blog for my paceline pick.
0: I love this because I'm currently in pursuit of my dream bike. I need something that that encompasses quite a bit. So, what is your you, dream bike? What is my dream bike? Yeah, tell, bike that. Tell us what this bike is. It, it doesn't <laughs> exist. I don't think so. I mean, it, it it's probably an all road machine of some sort. Mm-hmm. Probably drop bar. Definitely disc brake. Uh, definitely low bottom bracket stuff. Um, can do a cross race, a road ride, a group ride. Um, um, certainly an adventure ride. So it needs to be able to accomplish quite a bit. There's probably something out there that exists. I just haven't identified it yet. So Mm -hmm. that's what I'm in search of. All right. And I need it now. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, My paceline pick takes me to Poland and the rural town of Lidzbark because they have opened a bike path that glows blue in the dark. It is charged by the sun... Yeah, the special section of trail is, that you'd think this would be in Las Vegas, but yeah. The special section of trail is a new addition to a larger recreation path that leads up to a local lake. Um, the asphalt actually contains synthetic particles, which at night emit power captured from sunlight, creating this electric blue, uh, blue hue. And that glow will last up to 10 hours, so that's pretty cool. A segment of bike trail isn't just pretty, it's supposed to be practical. According to an engineer involved in the project, they hope that the glowing bicycle path will help prevent bicycle and pedestrian accidents at night. It's a problem in Poland, evidently, especially in the areas far from cities that are darker and more invisible in the night. So a glow-in-the-dark bike path in Poland, and they even have a little promotional video.
1: Of
0: course, if my Polish were any good, I'd be able to say, it's a glow-in-the-dark bike path brought to you by Poland or something like that. So that's my paceline Pick of the Week. By the way, uh, my good friend uh, Nikki Campbell gets an assist for this one. Nikki loves her some double Dutch and all things that glow in the dark. So thank you, Nikki, for finding my paceline Pick of the Week. Okay, boys, uh, wipe those smiles off your faces. Let's uh, wrap this show up. Patrick, um, RKP, again, you have a big deal going on there with a membership drive, and and I think I saw the last of your internet bike posts going up.
3: Yeah. Yeah. We've got a post announcing it. And for those who want to learn a little bit more uh, about it, there's an additional post, uh, a page that they can uh, click to from within the post or uh, at the top of the homepage that explains a little bit more how it works and what our intentions are. So uh, looking forward to seeing lots of success with that.
0: That's it, RKP. Get your PayPal account ready. Please support RKP. Um, we'd appreciate it. It's an awesome site, and we think it's well worth your time and maybe a little bit of your money, too. Again, go to redkiteprayer.com to get more on this podcast, show notes and links. Leave a word or two or more in the comment section. Again, we loved what you had to say about our Out of the Closet segment from last show. The Pace Line can also be found on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Music, and follow the show on Twitter. At Paceline Podcast. That is it, folks. We are done. Go for a ride. Be nice to each other. Be safe. Yeah, wear a helmet. We'd appreciate that, too. And again, support RKP and thefatcyclist.com. We'll talk to you soon.
3: Oh, wait, oh. wait. This is imaginary. I'm in a Bugatti. I'm in a Bugatti, bitches.